You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured on allhabs.net brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, with your hosts, Jill Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is episode 131 of the Canadians Connection podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined in studio by my co-host, the editor-in-chief, the president, the founder of Rocket Sports Media, Mr. Rick Stevens, the one and only Mr. Rick Stevens. Rick, how are you doing today, my friend? Wow, I get two introductions. That's terrific. Two introductions, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to talking about some of the events of this week, including just as recently last night that we're going to be getting into a little bit later on in this show. And uh, couple yeah, it's debuts, been uh, a couple of debuts. A couple of debuts. Some 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 angry Habs fans. Some excited Habs yeah. fans. It's it's kind of uh, you know the the, yeah. the drama that that you might expect. Uh, just with, a just with a normal Canadians week, folks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just just a normal week in Montreal <laughs> with the Montreal Canadiens, and it's one that you typically expect. And Rick, we're getting down to a point now in this season where, of course, decisions are going to have to be made. You're coming up on the trade deadline, and we're going to be talking about that mm-hmm. in just uh, just a few moments. Uh, that's going to be an interesting topic of discussion. But, Rick, it's not just hockey that's nearing the end of their season. It's also the NBA, and basketball season won't be around forever. So get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. You just pick your lineup, you stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Well, you know me and the way I follow the NBA. And, and it's Absolutely. just, you can feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, every steal, every assist means so much more with a DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. Said by a, a huge basketball fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, immense, the immense knowledge of basketball. <laughs> Baseball fans, though, you don't have to miss out on the, on if you may have missed out, excuse me, on season-long fantasy Now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. 
And and I may may have missed out on some of it because yeah. I've just been so busy with hockey. But I'd love to be doing it. And now with DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app right now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com. For details, but yes, Rick, it is a very exciting time of the year in the sports world. The NHL and NBA closing mm-hmm. in on the end of their season. MLB has started up. It's it's just a tremendous time of year. The mm-hmm. Masters for golf fans. For sure. Yes, how can I forget the Masters? As, as I'm a big fan of of golf, just as big as you are of basketball, Rick. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> and THPN, <laughs> you mentioned the 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 promo yes. code THPN. Uh, stands, of course, for the Hockey Pos- Podcast Network. We're um, a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, we are set to welcome a new sister podcast uh, to the network, dropping sometime probably next week. Uh, we're all a little crazy is what it's called. And uh, with uh, NHL great um, Theo Fleury and we're, we're kind of excited to have Theo on the show today uh, and uh, we'll be appearing in the second segment. Absolutely. It's going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous interview, tremendous podcast that will be dropping, as you said, uh, sometime next week, probably. So that'll be great as well. A great addition to the Hockey Podcast Network uh, affiliates of podcasts. But Rick, this has been, uh, as we said, uh, just a just a roller coaster week for Montreal Canadiens fans, and it started on the ice. So let's talk about the way the Canadians played on the ice this week. And we go back to last Saturday night. You know, you're coming off of a couple of good performances now that the team had been back on the ice after the COVID thing. They get back out there, and you see some some quality wins. You see, you know, a tired Edmonton Oilers team you take advantage of, but you need to do that. You know, those are the wins that you need to get. And then you have a game against the Senators, and you take complete advantage of that situation because the Ottawa Senators... Not a very good hockey team right now. You get the win against a team that's in last place in the North Division. But then, on Saturday night, a 6-3 loss to those same Ottawa Senators, sort of showing the the issues that, you know, sort of reared their ugly heads in the previous matchups against the Ottawa Senators that left you feeling a little bit, you know, Habs fans feeling a little bit shortchanged by the effort. It just was not a very good effort overall for the Montreal Canadiens in that one. And then, you know, you fast-forward to the next game against the Edmonton Oilers, and it looked like it was going to be a similar result. The Canadians give up a late goal in the first, a late goal in the second, and those are debilitating, and you can't give up those, especially not back-to-back periods. But the Canadians battled back, and Eric Stahl, in his Habs debut, capped off the comeback with an OT winner. Uh, And, yeah, the first overtime, first three-on-three overtime win for the Montreal Canadiens this season, comes against Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, naturally. <laughs> of course. From <laughs> of Eric course. Stahl, the speedster, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Rick, what happened next was a pair. Well, you had two games remaining in the week for the Canadians. You had the three, two uh, loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Corey Perry scored twice, but uh, the Leafs won that one three to two. And then against the Winnipeg Jets, they lose that one four to two. The Jets scored three in the first period. The first coming in just 18 seconds mm. uh, on route to that victory for them. So that sort of set the tone for what the rest of the game was going to be for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, excuse me there. But all in all, Rick, uh, not a not a great week for the Montreal Canadiens. Not a landmark week for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, there were some, there's some reasons as to why maybe it went this way and some injuries playing a part that we're going to be getting to a little bit later on. But it's still not what you'd like to see uh, from the Montreal Canadiens. Well, and and we remember that this was the first week of five weeks where the Canadians uh, will have four games a week, yeah, uh, and uh, back to backs um, in in each uh, week. Um, so this is this is the tough part of the schedule, but this is early times in the tough part of the schedule, and you you might have wanted yeah. to see them do a little bit better than uh, just one win and that win coming in overtime as it was. Yeah, and it's it's really going to be of the utmost importance for the Montreal Canadiens to take advantage of the situations early on in the schedule because it's only going to get tougher. It's only going to get tougher and tougher as you go, and especially um, considering some of the other factors at play here and who might you know the key bodies that they are going to be without for an extended period of time. Uh, but Rick, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we'll start with my three stars of the week for last week. And uh, the first star that I had uh, put out there was Brendan Gallagher. And uh, fittingly enough, I, I've talked Did about how I, I think I, I've <laughs> talked about how I think that I've, I've jinxed guys in the past. And I think that this was another example of that. But yeah, Rick, it, it, Brendan Gallagher, I think that you've you started to see that he was able to draw to drive that line with Philip Deneau mm -hmm. and and uh, and Thomas Tatar and you saw it with that diving goal against the Edmonton Oilers and yeah we're going to be getting into the the injury that he suffered that's that's going to keep him sidelined for a little while but yeah there was no other choice and and it was just a very untimely uh, injury that to have happen and especially considering the way that you were starting to see him in terms of his performance it was starting to ramp up a little bit and the Canadians needed that right now so it was uh, a timely and it's unfortunate that we didn't get to talk about uh, Brendan Gallagher and the week that he had uh, that were sort of limited to the performances that we saw last week and not any from this week uh, when we're talking about him at this point in time but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a challenge for the Canadians going forward. Well, and 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 nothing against your uh, three stars of the week because they're always uh, <laughs> objective, they're always justified, and and uh, Brennan Gallagher was absolutely the right pick. Uh, for last Sunday's edition. Um, and I'm looking forward to, with kind of an up and down week, there were some yeah. um, interesting performances. And, and I'm looking forward to this Sunday's uh, column, uh, Three Stars of the Week uh, from Joseph Whalen. Make sure you go to allhabs.net and look for that column. Absolutely, and, and tr tons of great content, including the game recaps, by the way, for the, any of the games that we just talked about moments ago, the loss against the Ottawa Senators, OT win against Edmonton, uh, and then the losses against Toronto Winnipeg over at allhabs.net. Tremendous content, and those game recaps written by 
my co-host here, Rick Stevens. So you definitely want to check those out uh, if you have not already. Uh, so, Rick, let's get into some roster news because this was a busy week for the Canadians in terms of some uh, some roster news, additions, subtractions, other and, and everything of the sort, really. Uh, so you start with Joel, Yoel Armia, and we know the story with Armia. He's been on the NHL's COVID protocol list, but there is some good news here. There perhaps some light at the end of the tunnel. He is out of quarantine. Um, and we, we know that uh, during the pause, there were two players on that NHL uh, COVID list, uh, yeah. both Armia and uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. We know that Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, was there because of contact tracing and not because of a positive test. Of course, when uh, the Canadians returned, Kotkaniemi was... Uh, right back in the lineup. Armia, not the same situation uh, because he had tested positive. He It was clear that he had contracted uh, COVID. Um, and uh, it's said that, that the uh, symptoms were minimal, and uh, but still, he's been out of the lineup and, uh, and he's cleared now. He's off the quarantine list. Uh, but it's going to take him uh, some practice time and, and a little bit to to get back into the lineup. Uh, but uh, Dom Deschamps said uh, expect him sometime during uh, this upcoming week. Yeah, and that'll be a, a good addition back for the Montreal Canadiens. You know, you've missed having him and his big body and his frame, um, and certainly without some of the guys that we're going to be talking about, one of the guys in particular, <laughs> it's it's going to be. Uh, a welcome return for Yoel Armia. Uh, Rick, another guy that has been on the sidelines, uh, Ben Sherratt, and and we know that Ben Sherratt has been out with that fractured hand, uh, but he started skating and he's, he's sort of on his his recovery uh, on the on the recovery uh, on the on the right track, so to speak. And uh, we remember it's a hand a fracture to hand issue. He's been skating with uh, some apparatus on to protect his hand to support his hand. Um, but it looks like, uh, he's ahead of schedule, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, uh Dom Ducharme said that, that he's trending in the right direction and, yeah. and should be back soon. Um, what soon means is, uh, probably, uh, within the next two weeks. And that's, that's good news because, you know, the Montreal Canadiens have needed some help on the back end and, uh, Ben Chirot will be a welcome sight uh, for the Canadians and their fans. Um, so, Rick, we sort of touched on it. Brendan Gallagher, he suffered a fractured thumb, and he's going to be out a minimum of six weeks, and uh, he's been placed on LTIR. And we know the history for Brendan Gallagher with those hand injuries, those pesky hand injuries that have kept him uh, sidelined for portions of the last uh, five seasons. He's been dealing with these types of things and you always sort of wince when you see him take one to the hand or take a shot of any kind to the hand because you know that history and yeah so six weeks without Brendan Gallagher as well as he had been starting to play and you started to see that Dano line with Tatar and Gallagher start producing near the level that you've seen in years past and Gallagher was the driving force in that that's a tough blow for the Canadians right now it is um and and as you said, it's tough to watch. Um, he he knew right away. He was frustrated yeah. uh, when he left the the ice surface. He you know he's been wearing the uh, his his gloves have extra padding in them, yeah. uh, but not enough to uh, protect his thumb. In this case, a shot from uh, Alexander Romanov. 
Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of been friendly fire in each of his, his, uh, Gallagher's injuries. Uh, but he's going to be out, uh, for a minimum of six weeks. He's been placed on LTIR and he will not be back for the remainder of the regular season. Uh, but the hope is that, uh, he'll be back for the Canadians, uh, 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 start of the playoffs. Yeah. So you have to hold out hope for that. Um, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But Rick, another guy who the Canadians could ill afford to lose uh, for any period of time, and they unfortunately have lost for at least a little bit, is Carey Price. Uh, he's out of the lineup with a lower body injury. And and you remember when we were talking about Carey Price a few weeks back, excuse me, um, and Stefan Waite was sort of talking about in the media after his dismissal that Carey Price was dealing with something. Dominic Ducharme touched on it as well. So we've sort of known for some time that Price has been dealing with something and he's out of the lineup with a lower body injury at the moment. Should return next week, but it's still obviously a concern anytime that Carey Price is is injured in any way, shape, or form. And we remember Stefan Waite giving kind of a laundry list of, of injuries, hip, back, yeah. knee, uh, um, that uh, had our... our part now of of uh, Carey Price's uh, just what he has to deal with um, and uh, Dom Ducharme said uh, you know some time ago said no he's not 100% but he's he's dealing with things well uh, against the Oilers he tweaked one of his injuries uh, most likely uh, the knee um, yeah and uh, to the point where where uh, he he needed to to take some some, some time away and let that uh, recover. And um, again, uh, Descharmes said trending in the right direction should be back next week. So uh, uh, let's let's hope um, that that that's the case and that uh, the Carey Price isn't out of the line, uh, lineup too long. Absolutely, and and yeah, it's it, it didn't stop him from making that ridiculous two pads tack on the oh, Oilers. That, that, unbelievable. I mean, he, he was battling through, but you could sort of see it. It seemed as though he couldn't really dig in and he was sort of sliding around a little bit more than you usually see. At least that's what it looked like to me when I was watching that game against the Oilers. But yeah, he, he was still remarkable in that in that game. Uh, but yeah, any any time that you are without Carey Price for the Montreal Canadiens, we know how it's gone off the rails in years past, even for short periods of time. So you don't want to see that uh, extend too, too long. But uh, yeah, should return next week, hopefully. Uh, and Rick, we do have a little bit of roster news. Seems like that we say this every week or close to every week, uh, maybe every two or three. Uh, Paul Byron placed on waivers uh, on Friday, and he has since cleared waivers. So there's there's that. <laughs> uh, this is uh, yeah the second time that uh, Paul uh, Byron has uh, has cleared waivers. Uh, this was. This was kind of done preemptively. Uh, he hadn't yet reached that uh, that ten game threshold, um, but uh, the clock's now been restarted on that and and clear. I think uh, coming a few days before the the trade deadline, that it just is is uh, an opportunity uh, then to put him on tax the taxi squad uh, on on off days on on uh, well any time to to help build up that uh, that cap space. Uh, but but again, um, I I, th- I think it's it's interesting that it was done in the way it's it's been done um, ahead of the the trade deadline to to maximize yeah. the amount of uh, dollars available. 
Uh, and the other bit of uh, roster news that we heard today was uh, Victor Mato. He won't uh, be playing. Uh, and uh, Otto Leskinen uh, will get yeah. his first action. Been playing very well. Uh, one of uh, the guys that uh, uh, Joel Bouchard relies on. Uh, and uh, he'll get up for his first action this season um, with uh, playing with uh, Alexander Romanov. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Otto Leskinen, so it'll be interesting to watch and see how he performs given this opportunity. But yeah, we're going to be getting into the reason why Victor Mente is not playing tonight in, in just a little bit. But Rick, uh, we'll move on, and uh, I think it's time for a, a Habs prospect report. This edition of the Rocket Report is brought to you by AHL.Report, your premier source for the Laval Rocket, the AHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. AHL.Report is a proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. So, Rick, we'll, we'll thank Amy Johnson for that. That was lovely. Uh, <laughs> but, Rick, this week, uh, we got some news this week uh, surrounding Jan Meshack, and he's somebody that is is of interest for both of us that we both really liked the world juniors and of course he's been playing with the laval rocket um because of the situation with the ohl you know where they were waiting on leagues and and the chl to open up and eventually the whl did uh but the ohl not as of yet uh but they signed jan mishak to a three-year entry-level contract so some some news there for jan mishak Given an opportunity, and and uh, with not not uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs not in action, his team, uh, and every time he's been in the lineup, uh, he's a player that you notice uh, for the Laval yeah. Rocket. Um, he's um, he's pretty good on faceoffs. Uh, he gets real low. Uh, he's uh, good on the forecheck. Uh, he's got a little bit of offense, a, a great shot, a good wrist shot, and uh, just a really hard-working uh, player. And uh, and he's been rewarded uh, with his uh, three-year entry-level contract uh, that starts in next season, the 2021-22 uh, season. Yeah, and Rick, it's just hard not to think about because we, we remember hearing about how he called Thomas Placanich. He That's took right. it upon himself, right? Like some of these things that you hear about Jan Meshack and you see from Jan Meshack, it just sort of reminds you of him. But yeah, he's just got a lot of great elements of his game that you love to see. Learned a little um, bit of French. Uh, yeah, he learned a bit of French, French too. From his mom's friend. And, and it just, <laughs> uh, just yeah, a guy. And uh, Joe Bouchard always says he's the guy that asks exactly the right questions and uh, smart guy, great hockey mm-hmm. sense and lots of uh, initiative for a young player. And yeah, I mean, early on in this, obviously you don't want to say that he's going to be with the Montreal Canadiens, but showing you some of the signs of, of being a leader, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he saw, we saw that at the world juniors with uh, team Czech Republic and some of his performances there. He's very much one of those, that, that sort of high character guy that you just can't have enough of. Um, but Rick, we'll move on because last week we touched on uh, Blake Biondi and the UMD Bulldogs who made it to the Frozen Four. Uh, they lost in a semifinal uh, to UMass this week. Uh, and we remember it was Blake Biondi on the ice in the fifth overtime uh, to get them into, uh, to get the UMD Bulldogs into the Frozen Four. 
and it was, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, another overtime game, although this one ended in the first overtime. Uh, UMass 3-2 <laughs> uh, over the UMD Bulldogs. UMass advances, unfortunately. Uh, that's the end of the Canadians' prospects uh, in, uh, in the uh, Frozen Four. So it'll be uh, UMass against uh, St. Cloud, uh, the St. Cloud Huskies. And uh, but there's going to be rooting interest uh, because Charlie Lindgren, uh, Ryan Paling, both from the St. Cloud program, and and they said that uh, when interviewed this week that they're going to have a keen eye on uh, on on the Frozen Four and uh, s- supporting their uh, St. Cloud um, uh, as as an uh, as alumni. Yeah, absolutely, and you'd expect nothing less. There's definitely going to be some interest uh, there from those two, uh, Rick. A great day yesterday for uh, for Cole Caulfield, and we're going to start to get into the reasons why it was such a great day for Cole Caulfield. So it started with him being named the winner of the Hobie Baker Memorial Award. And of course, we talked about him being named a finalist and all that. And we've been leading up to sort of this conversation that we're having right now with the expectation that it would come to this, that that he would win it. And it seemed like he was the favorite from everything that you saw and read and heard. And eventually, yeah, he becomes the winner of the Hobie Baker Award. Now, that said, the the uh, the Hobie hat trick, the three finalists, uh, there was, uh, in addition yeah. to Cole Caulfield, two quality uh, nominees uh, being Shane Pinto. We, we, we yeah. talked about him, the, the uh, Senators uh, prospect. And Dryden McKay, who had a terrific season with uh, Minnesota State, the Mankato Mavericks. Um, and, uh, so it was, there was some tough competition, but, you know, Cole Caulfield, uh, with a, just an outstanding season, uh, with Wisconsin and, uh, was, was, uh, awarded, uh, the Hobie Baker award. That's the, the, the top award, the top individual award, uh, in NCAA hockey. Um, and the announcement came, uh, just as Cole Caulfield, uh, was getting ready to step on the ice for warm-ups yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in Toronto uh, at the Coca-Cola Centre uh, for a game uh, against the Marlies. And uh, Joel Bouchard was, called him into the co- coach's room, and they sat around the computer and, uh, and watched the announcement. Uh, and and uh, just incredible. And at the same time, you had uh, Tony Granado, and he had gathered his entire... Uh, a Badgers team uh, together, Les Cole, um, in in a viewing room uh, to watch the Hobie Baker Award and then watch Cole's uh, first uh, first game. So uh, his teammates were his his former teammates were all there, uh, kind of cheering him on, and uh, and of course his family watching at home and and just a a, a wonderful but a, a, just a really unique situation with with. Uh, you know him him getting this huge award and then stepping on the ice uh debuting yeah. in his first pro game and and that's a really cool move from uh, from Joel Bouchard as well I'll give him credit for that that's that's really cool to to call him in and and let him watch that before uh, stepping onto the ice as what was the second part of this really cool day for Cole Caulfield which he made his pro debut uh for Laval in Toronto uh, last night, uh, and it was a, a great game for Cole Caulfield. Uh, he was everything. I think that, listen, I think that 
we want to temper expectations here uh, because they might have been running a little bit wild after last night <laughs> because there was uh-huh. a lot of excitement after last night for Cole Caulfield, two goals and an assist uh, in, in a win for the Laval Rocket. And, and it was the way they came. Um, you know, his, yeah. his, his first goal, <laughs> his first pro goal, right in his favorite spot, as he calls it, uh, the one-timer from the, from the face-off dot on the power play. Uh, past Joseph Wall of the Marlies, um, it was it was you know uh, tailor made for for yeah. him, um, and uh, then then actually making a, a pretty skilled move driving to the the net uh, and uh, lost the the puck and and Willette came in and and cleaned up and so he got his first pro. Uh, assist that's Caulfield um, and then uh, you know he um, had a break uh, came in on the on the wing uh, shot it into Wolves pads a save and then uh, potted his own rebound uh, so two goals there uh, one assist um, it, it, un- unbelievable storybook kind of of uh, game for him it, it was uh, incredible and uh, with an awful lot of eyeballs on him uh, yeah. last night. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting because, I mean, you saw so many people tweeting about that last night. And uh, our one of the I guess that we had last week, Todd Molesky, was tweeting about that, of course, covered Cole Caulfield throughout his time in Wisconsin for the Wisconsin State Journal. And it was just interesting to watch all these sort of eyeballs unveil and, and on social media, watch it all unfold and see their reactions to it as it was happening. Because, yeah, it was just it, it couldn't have gone any differently. Like there was no <laughs> other way that 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 had to happen that way. He gets announced for the Hobie Baker, steps on the ice for his first pro game and has three points. It, it could not have gone any differently that was the only possible outcome <laughs> and he delivered it was it was it was pretty remarkable to watch so after all of this right and uh, you want to say anything well i, I was just going to add the the, yeah. the the great thing about it and and there's lots of people lots of eyeballs as you said uh, uh, yeah. lots of people watching lots of people tweeting uh, lots of media uh, that n- don't normally pay attention to the the rocket uh, involved uh, in the call, and of course, uh, our Amy Johnson was was yeah. on the the call asking Cole and Joel Bouchard um, uh, questions after the game, um, and uh, uh, there was uh, Sam Gerber who does our game previews. He signed up for AHL uh, TV yeah. uh, just to watch, <laughs> uh, and he said it was entirely worth it. Um, and, but the the interesting thing for me, and I, I don't think people are mentioning it, and, and that, that's fine. Uh, the first goal of the game last night was uh, scored by Kale Casilla uh, for the Marlies. Uh, the Marlies went up one nothing. How did he do that? He went around uh, Cole Caulfield, who waved a stick yeah. in the defensive zone. It was a defensive mistake, um, and it kind of reinforced. And I'm not, I'm not bringing this up to be critical. I'm bringing it up to number one, temper expectations. Yes. Uh, number two, explain why Cole Caulfield started in the AHL and not the NHL. Uh, Cole Caulfield had a terrific debut but he's not perfect he has things to learn and you know that Joel Bouchard was was making oh okay there's some video we're going to show him there's something to work on and fortunately so uh the Laval Rocket uh they have 11 games I believe left in their their very short 36 game schedule uh they're at a they have eight games in the month of April 
not not compare that to the Canadian schedule. Yeah. So there's lots <laughs> and lots of practice time. Lots of practice time. And that's perfect for Cole Caulfield because there are things his play away from the puck, he needs he still needs some more work on that. And uh so it's a it's a perfect stepping stone to go from uh Big Ten hockey from NCAA hockey to the NHL. Uh, sorry, to the AHL, which is going to be a step for him as it is. Yeah. And then, um, you know, make that adjustment. And then uh, if he gets a chance to to uh, to uh, make take that next step to the NHL uh, later this season. So um, I think it's I think it's all it's all positive, but there's there's still work to be done. Absolutely. And, and yeah, you would expect that. And we've we've known that there was going to be, you know, that type of we've seen it from Cole Caulfield before and, and we understand that Tony Granato talked about okay if you want to not play in the defensive zone well you get the puck and then you go up the other way and you score goals that's what you do but it's it's harder to do that at the next level and mm-hmm. you're going to need to adjust to that and Cole Caulfield in the AHL I think it, it would have been I mean we've seen the Canadians and we're talking about this before the show with Caden Primo last year remember when he was called up and it was just sort of, okay, yeah, there's a lot going on right now that we don't really like. So here's Caden Primo, guys. Look <laughs> at Caden Primo. He's awesome, isn't he? You could have done that here. The Montreal Canadiens have done it before. They could have done it again with Cole Caulfield, and they didn't. They chose to go yeah. this path, and this is the appropriate thing to do. So it's it's good to see that he's you know making mistakes, and hopefully with Joel Bouchard, going to go over some film and learn from those mistakes, and it'll make him a better player in the long run. But yeah, definitely a good start in the AHL, but there's still some things for him to work on. So with that said, I think we can hear from Cole Caulfield because yeah, he had a crazy day yesterday. So here he is talking about the announcement of the Hobie Baker award. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously it was, it was on my mind pretty much the whole day. And, um, I was getting dressed to go for warmups and, um, the, the coaches had it on, on their computer in the coaches room. So, um, I was ecstatic and, and the team went crazy for me. So, uh, it was just really special. Um, obviously I wish I could been with my Wisconsin teammates and coaches and family, um, but just uh, interesting situation, unique situation. But um, I couldn't be more happier. He's pretty excited, and but uh, you know, a, an absolutely uh, unique situation. He's he's dead yeah. on there. <laughs> uh, to kind of surreal that uh, he knows his Wisconsin teammates are watching, his family's watching, uh, his new teammates is, are are thrilled for him, and they went crazy. Um, and uh, and then he has to to play a game. Uh, he said that uh, he got all kinds of uh, as you'd expect, all kinds of text. He got a text from one Blake Jeffreyon. Uh, Blake Jeffreyon, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and and he hadn't had any contact from Blake before. Remember, I asked that question last week with uh, Todd Molesky uh, because Blake Jeffreyon is is uh, the only uh, prior to. Cole Caulfield, the only only Hobie Baker Award winner that came out of uh, the Wisconsin program to date, and uh, then we know that uh, uh, Blake Jeffreyon. Uh, well, the the I th- I think the term I used was hockey ro- royalty uh, with that Jeffreyon yeah. name uh, traded from Nashville to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, unfortunately, his career ended uh, early um, with an injury that he sh- suffered and and is now uh, part of the scouting staff in uh, for the Florida Panthers and doing a great job there. Uh, but really, kind of cool of of Blake Jeffreyon to reach out to uh, Cole Caulfield. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And there's that, as you said, there's a connection there. And that's a very interesting uh, person to uh, reach out to Cole Caulfield. I'm sure he's very appreciative of that. Uh, But then Rick, of course. So there was not only the fact that he won the Hobie Baker Award, which was reason enough to talk about Cole Caulfield. But as we've been saying, he then made his pro debut. And here he is talking about that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, Really special night. Um, Obviously, I wish my my parents could be here to, uh, you know, enjoy it with me. But um, just a special thing, you know, to play in your first game. And um, it was just, you know, a lot of fun. He's mentioned his parents twice, and and it's tough. I mean, we we forget yeah. how young he is, uh, and uh, but that that uh, family's important to him. Uh, you know, he played with his brother uh, for the two years in Wisconsin. Uh, his family was close by, and and uh, it's it's tough being away from him. But but mom's been setting the rules, and he talked about uh, <laughs> that uh, he's been busy completing his coursework, and he still has more to do to finish off his <laughs> second year. Uh, so while he's getting adjusted to a uh, you know a, a new team, a new country, a, a new league, uh, he's uh, he's uh, going to be busy doing some uh, schoolwork to finish out his his year, uh, which is yeah. um, which is well, it's the way which I mean uh, yeah. you can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in that only in only that regard, I can relate to Cole Caulfield. <laughs> that I, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you'd expect nothing less from mom trying to make sure. That he uh, gets through and uh, has something to fall back on in case this whole hockey racket doesn't work out for Cole Caulfield, (laughs) which I suspect uh, may not be the case. But Rick, (laughs) then, of course, so not only the pro debut, but then you also have to talk about the first pro goal. Yeah, I mean, um, I couldn't have drawn it up any better. Um, It was obviously a great pass um, on the power play and my favorite spot. So um, it felt pretty good. And. it was just a big win for us tonight, and um, I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to, uh, to keep going. A great pass. A great, great pass. Who'd the pass come from? Our dear friend, Jordan Wheel. Uh, and ah. uh, Cole Caulfield playing on the line with Jordan Wheel and, and looked pretty good. Also on the other wing uh, was Yannick Veilleux. Uh, just in case uh, things got a little out of hand, Yannick Veilleux yeah. was there to ride shotgun. And, and But uh, Jordan Wheel playing great hockey for the Laval Rocket, taking a, a, a mentorship role for the younger players, set up uh, uh, Cole Caulfield uh, on the power play, right where he likes it, uh, and uh, the one-timer. As I said, beat uh, Joseph Wall. It was uh, it 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 was perfect. There was a moment. Uh, there was a moment, and it was on the power play. Um, and and we know that that Cole Caulfield lines up on the right side. Yannick Veo on the left. And you saw uh, Cole Caulfield um, uh, as they were waiting to drop the puck, come over and uh, and tap uh, Yannick Veo and say, um, uh, "You mind switching wings with me?" And uh, Yannick Veo goes over the right side, Cole Caulfield, uh, for an offensive zone faceoff. And uh, it didn't quite work out, but as soon as Jordan Wheel took the faceoff, Cole Caulfield glided back into what would have been a prime shooting position. And I thought that was a moment. That was a moment. Yannick Veo, a veteran uh, in the AHL, Cole Caulfield, his first game, and uh, and also, you know, the hockey sense, the thinking, decision making. Hey, uh, let's let's try something here. And uh, and it didn't work yeah. out. But 
But, uh, you know, that takes confidence. And, and that was the one thing that, that we saw uh, time and time and time again last night was uh, uh, the absolute confidence uh, that he, in, in which he played the game. Yeah, and I mean, he's somebody that has scored at every level, and it's great to add somebody that has those instincts and has the confidence and the ability to deliver that with that confidence uh, in addition to that. So it's tremendous, and uh, yeah, a great debut last night for Cole Caulfield. Still some things to work on. And by the way, if you want to follow Cole Caulfield's development in the AHL and follow his story as it all unfolds with the Laval Rocket, be sure to head over to AHL.Report and listen to and subscribe to the Press Zone Montreal podcast to hear all about Cole Caulfield and his journey in the AHL and uh, hear more uh, interesting things like we have been talking about with respect to Cole Caulfield uh, here on this podcast. But Rick, uh, excuse me. It's a very, very interesting time of year, uh, and it's a, a little bit later than it usually is. Uh, it's usually in, in the middle of February or late February, early March that we are talking about the NHL trade deadline. But of course, we know this season a little bit different. Uh, so the Montreal Canadiens enter Monday's trade deadline in a very interesting situation. They are not playing as well as they would like to right now, but they have made some moves in in the recent weeks of course you think back to trading for Eric Stahl they've they've done some things there so it'll be interesting to see where exactly the Montreal Canadiens land when it comes to this trade deadline and what they might do and what Mark Bergevin might do and we know that we've heard a lot from you know NHL insiders and people that follow the game that say that Mark Bergevin is not afraid to do something well might be a little bit limited in what he can do with respect to this trade deadline, given the fact the Montreal Canadiens and, and their cap situation. But but I think that this is a very interesting time to have a conversation about what the current state of the Montreal Canadiens is. What are the Canadiens' needs right now? And anything that we talk about right now is still going to be an issue when the summer comes, when the offseason comes, when, when that comes. I say the summer, but be later in the summer than usual but regardless it's still going to be something that you want to circle back to so i think this is a very interesting time to have a wide-ranging conversation about the montreal canadians roster and the issues that are that are present throughout it absolutely and um and as you said, these are the kinds of things that uh, that if if Mark Bergevin, because of the constraints, isn't able to deal with at this trade deadline, will be the kinds of things going forward that uh, still need to be addressed as the as the Canadians take further steps to become uh, a contender. Uh, but as far as you know, where are they? Where are they right now? Um, you know, we we always like to hear from the players. And uh, we, we, we like to hear from players who, who kind of are able to describe the, the full range of, of uh, what's happened, set the scene for the past week. And, and this week we've throw, uh, chosen uh, three veterans uh, to highlight. Um, and uh, it, it's, um, uh, they, they, I think, uh, very adequately describe the ups and downs uh, yeah. that, uh, that happened this week. Yeah, and the first one that we're going to play comes from a guy who, of course, I just 
touched on, Eric Stahl, who was just recently traded to the Montreal Canadiens, so he has that experience. So he's talking about making his Montreal Canadiens debut. Uh, it was a lot of fun tonight, obviously, right from the, the get-go. Um, you know, we had a pretty good start, and our, our guys were engaged. Obviously, uh, you know, giving up that first one was tough, but, uh, you know, up and down a little bit in the second, and I just love that we stayed with it and, and competed. Um, you know, it was tonight was uh, uh, a lot of fun to be a part of, and I could feel the energy, uh, you know, through the through the TV screens, and and uh, I wish I wish it was full because I know what this place is like when it's full, especially mm-hmm. in that type of moment. But uh, it was awesome nonetheless, and um, you know, I was thankful that it was uh, you know my opportunity tonight. But uh, you know, as a group, we've got a lot of guys that uh, you know uh, can uh, be difference makers here. Eric Stahl has that ability to think um, outside of himself very well, and uh, so at after having a you know a, a, an amazing uh, moment, uh, 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 having that, that that overtime goal, the first one for the Canadians uh, this year, um, he he was able to think beyond that and think about how the fans were reacting and how different yeah. it would have been if those fans who were watching on TV were actually in the stands. Uh, and and what a what a moment that would have been, and said that that yeah that you know um, he was having not necessarily the best game um, uh, that uh, in his debut it was it was very uh, safe very tentative at times, uh, but he was right there for the right moment and was able to deliver. Uh, at the time the Canadians needed him to. Um, and he said, uh, you know, that's for me today. It's going to be uh, a moment for somebody else uh, in, in the games coming up. And I mean, that's exactly what you expect of, of a veteran guy, even though it might not be, you know, throughout the game, he might not be exactly where you'd like him or he might be up and down a little bit, but he's just in the right spot at the right time and delivers when he has to. And uh, you'd expect nothing less from Eric Stahl, another guy who does that. And it's a very interesting one in Corey Perry because, you know, when when the Montreal Canadiens signed Corey Perry, and we talk about this a little bit, you know, we were a little bit skeptical. I was like, what is Corey Perry going to provide for this Montreal Canadiens team? Well, it turns out that he's providing uh, quite a lot for the Montreal Canadiens, and he's talking here about how he's found his scoring touch uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, what I've done my my whole career is just uh, in and around the net and, um, you know, I play with some good players, and there's some good players in this hockey team that uh, that can find you. And um, I'll feel confident, and uh, just keep, continue to keep doing what I'm doing. It's not magic. It's no. what I've been doing my whole <laughs> career. Uh, I go to the net. I play with good players. They get me the puck, and and uh, it's just his matter of fact approach, um, <laughs> and 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 modesty, um, you know. Uh, but but why are you surprised? This is this is what I do, uh, and he's uh, nine goals uh, uh, on the season. That's fourth uh, among forwards on the the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, great value there, and uh, and great leadership. Uh, and he has been, uh, you know, he's been everything the Canadians, uh, for someone who started and missed games on the taxi squad at the beginning, he's been uh, everything you'd want and more, uh, and is now a fixture in the lineup. You're not taking uh, Corey Perry out nope. of the lineup. Nope. And it was it was really interesting because it was right from go. It was right from the time that he was inserted into the lineup because of Yoel Armia's concussion that he suffered uh, because of the hit from Tyler Myers. It was right from the get-go that you saw this from Corey Perry. 
And yeah, it, it's it's adding somebody that had those instincts of a guy that used to that was in the prime of his career, a MVP caliber player, Richard Trophy winner. Like you're adding instincts that that a lot of guys don't have. And it was great to see in that game against the Leafs the pass from Nick Suzuki. But the pass was just one part of it because the head and shoulder fakes, the sequence of shoulder and head fakes from Corey Perry, that was a goal scorer's goal right there. And it was Mm -hmm. great to see because the Montreal Canadiens in years past, I mean, you don't have guys with those types of instincts that know how to make a goalie beat himself, essentially, because it was it was Jack Campbell's movement that opened up the opportunity for Corey Perry to just slide it past him. It was it was remarkable to watch. Uh, And of course, then the second goal just. Corey Perry battling in front of the net, <laughs> as you would expect. But, Rick, as we've talked about, and Eric Stahl sort of said it as well, that a bit of up-and-down performance in the game against Edmonton in his debut, but that's been the way that it's been for the Montreal Canadiens as of late. So so here's Shea Weber's reasoning for why the Montreal Canadiens are playing the way that they are. Uh, yeah, I think, well, we did it to ourselves with uh, mental errors, especially early. I don't think it was lack of effort. I just think we made some... Mistakes and the mistakes were big, and obviously those are uh, chances that we can't give up. Obviously, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's uh, you can say whatever you want. Um, you know, it's things that can't happen. We know we're playing back to back with travel and whatever excuses you want to make. It's not an excuse. It's uh, um, we're professionals here. We've got to be ready to play, and, and we can't make those uh, those mistakes because team like this will make you pay and pay. Um, you know that they did, and we just couldn't fight out of that hole. So the schedule, that's not an excuse. Uh, our key players out of the lineup, that's not an excuse. And, and in, in his mind, and you can tell that it's the kind of message that he would be delivering in the locker room, um, this isn't because uh, teams are, are outworking us or anything to that extent. It is because we are making mistakes and they're, we're, we're, as he said, shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, those are things that can be cleaned up, can be fixed, uh, that that uh, his fellow players have to bear down, uh, have to be vigilant, and, and have to have attention to detail. And, uh, I, uh, you know, each one of those messages from the veterans are very plain, very, very simple, and uh, they're the kinds of messages that uh, younger players would, would uh, grab onto, you'd think. Yeah, and I mean, it's... It's that type of experience that, that comes from, you know, having guys that have played, gone on deep playoff runs, been captains, been assistant captains, you know, that type of leadership, playing in the Olympics, all those types of things. So these guys, those three guys that we just highlighted, they've been through a lot in their careers, so they're not going to get too high or too low. So it's important at this point in time that, as you said, that those younger players grab on to those words from those three guys that have been through everything in the NHL and uh, and sort of go from there and, and play with a little bit more consistency, a little bit more attention to detail than we've seen as of late. But, Rick, I, I think it's important to look at this and look at this roster and the performances from, from you know all the aspects of this roster. So beginning with defense... So we talked about Otto Leskin, and he's going to be getting into the lineup tonight. Uh, that is because Victor Mete was benched for the third period of the game on Thursday against the Winnipeg Jets. Just, just you know, some of the things that you will often see from Victor Mete when he's out there. Maybe the speed is tantalizing, the puck movement, the ability to move it with a pass or his feet. 
that that is tantalizing but he loses a lot of battles and and you started to see that he was getting out muscled in front of the net and it sort of always spells trouble for the Montreal Canadiens when that's the case. We were talking uh, before we went on the air about that uh, Trevor Lewis goal uh, that the Jets scored that that uh, Meta was just uh, outmatched. Um, you know, he has to use his speed. He has to use uh, his his uh, his stick. He has to use uh, his uh, hockey sense and play the angles and and be able to separate. Uh, the stick from the puck of the opposition, and um, he's he's not he's not doing that. And um, and to the to, to the state where uh, Dom Deschamps felt more comfortable going with five defensemen um, and putting, uh, as he said, uh, experience with uh, Alexander Romanov uh, in the third period uh, of that game uh, against the Jets. And now, uh, to the extent, uh, is uh, that, that Victor Mete will be moving up to the, the press box. Yeah, so as we said, it'll be interesting to see Otto Leskinen in this opportunity, this, this chance for him to get in and show what he's got. Um, but Rick, one thing that was clear from the very beginning of this season was that there was going to be a load uh, to handle for Jeff Petrie, given the fact that when you look at the construction of this blue line, there is not a lot of puck movement there. There There's not a lot of mobility there. And Jeff Petrie is basically the only guy other than Alexander Romanoff. And we've talked about the inexperience and at times trying to do a little bit too much for Romanoff with that has come a lot of, a lot on the, on the shoulders of Jeff Petrie, a lot to manage for Jeff Petrie. And We've seen in years past when that is the case, when there's a lot on the shoulders of Jeff Petrie, there becomes a time where he just really can't handle it that well anymore. And there's a sharp decline in his play. And that's been the case over the last month. I mean, there was a lot of conversation about Norris trophy nominee nomination, you know, like there's there was that type of conversation that was happening. But as of late, Jeff Petrie has just not really been good enough. Whether whether that conversation was ever valid, that's that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but it's it's gone. Uh, yeah. The Jeff Norris Petrie uh, talk is absolutely uh, vanished, and that's because, uh, you know, your phrase it, it, he he's dropped off a cliff. He he doesn't regress uh, uh, gradually. Uh, his his uh, you know his offense dried up. His uh, you know, we we look at those games where where his uh, plus minus, my goodness, um, yeah. the minus five, and it, it it's 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 startling um, how his his performance has has um, been affected and regressed, um, and you know we hear all the time about well he should be the the number one defenseman, uh, Shea Weber provides a whole lot of cover. And plays a whole lot of tough minutes so that Jeff Petrie doesn't have to, and Jeff Petrie can be Jeff Petrie. Um, now, uh, this move to be pairing with Kulak certainly, certainly, uh, you know, they're they're probably they're much more offensive-minded pairing than uh, than the Edmondson Petrie pairing is. Uh, but but they give up a lot on the uh, on the defensive side and 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 we've seen that uh, happen. It's it's it happens when players are playing a little above um, you know 
uh, trying to pull more than their weight, and uh, and and that can happen for short periods, uh, for little uh, you know brief instances, and and they can look good. But uh, Edmondson hasn't looked good with uh, with Weber, um, and and Petrie's declined on the second pair. Uh, Victor Mete not uh, the ideal. Uh, solution for the third pair so the defense is is really struggling uh, right now and um, and as we talk about uh, the trade deadline uh, that's that's I think where Mark Bergevin's focus has to be again either uh, if he can if he can make a move to shore up the defense uh, for uh, for the rest of this season or most certainly uh, offseason changes uh, to to to, to shore up that that whole defensive core for next season. And this is something that goes back to conversations that we've been having since the very beginning of the Canadians Connection podcast, which is that Mark Bergevin, when you make the move, Mikhail Sergachev for Jonathan Drouin, and also elect to not bring back Andre Markov, you, you're, you're creating a hole for yourself, not only for the short term, but the long term. And the long term... He has not addressed that since it happened. That's right. So that's the part of it. And if he does something on Monday, before Monday's deadline, to address this need that they have, I, I mean, obviously they might be a little bit limited in what they can do in the short term. But long term, you need to do something with this. Because if you had at this moment in time, Mikhail Sergachev playing alongside Shea Weber and then Ben Sherat or whoever it is playing alongside Jeff Petrie, then you'd be in a much better position than you are right now. And, and that's that's stating the obvious a little bit, but it is what it is. You make that move and you don't address it in the short or long term, and you're creating problems for yourself when you don't patch that hole. But yeah, it, Rick, speaking of Jonathan Drouin, I think that's that's a pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty good segue there. Uh, he has gone 18 games without a goal for Jonathan Drouin, and... It's starting to get to a point where as he had that breakaway, he was sprung on a breakaway, a partial break. I know that he had guys that were relatively close to him, but he was in a position where he could take a stride or two more to get closer to Jack Campbell, and he just elected not to. And we've seen that he does not have a wrist shot that can beat a goaltender clean. And he's he's even talked about that, say, uh, citing his wrist injury, having surgery doesn't leave him with as powerful a shot as he once possessed. But that means that you just have to get closer, right? Like that's the part of it that's getting a little bit frustrating with Jonathan Drouin is some of these things are starting to pile on top of each other and get a little bit inexplicable because you can reason one or two things away. But why that? Okay, if you don't have a powerful wrist shot, why cannot why can't you not score in the shootout against Vancouver? Like there's things that you need to do. You need to tick off at least some of the boxes because we understand that there's limitations for everybody, but you need to tick some of them. And I understand it's getting assists, whatever, stockpiling points, but you need to get some production in terms of goal scoring out of Jonathan Drouin. It's um it, it's interesting how uh Jonathan Duran in the bubble, Jonathan Duran uh, did absolutely nothing uh, for the 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 whole um, I don't know how many games it, it turned out to be but for the last Ten. game and a half, um yeah. he was he was terrific with Suzuki, and then the message coming out of the bubble was oh look at the chemistry with Suzuki and and uh, he'll be great with Suzuki and and all that but but. 
uh, people forget what happened before that, 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 uh, you know, he, he disappeared. And then to start this season, uh, getting a lot of minutes, uh, uh, benefiting from, from, uh, you know, the work of others and getting assists and, uh, to, to blunt any criticism and, and then, oh, watch how he'll perform with, with his old junior coach and Dom Descharmes. Uh, but then people have kind of lost track of him, uh, and 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 the time, you know, he made the odd uh, uh, defensive uh, play as well. Uh, but all of that has evaporated, and um, you know, he's back to his his coasting ways in the defensive zone. Um, he's not contributing. You know, he's been pointless in five or six, uh, goalless in eighteen. Um, so what are you getting from Jonathan Duran? You're he's being paid as as a you know, as a as a sniper, he's being paid as as a as a skilled forward. He's taking up uh, a, a place on uh, with with very very good line mates. Uh, he's getting tons of power play time, and he's not contributing. Um, and and it's it's it seems to be a blind spot for uh, Dom Descharmes as as far as you know his uh, a teacher's pet kind of thing that. Uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's not necessarily recognized the struggles up until last game when, uh, Drouin got 12 minutes, uh, of ice time. And that yeah. was the first kind of, uh, indication. And he's like, okay, finally, somebody's <laughs> recognized. Uh, but, but that should have happened long, 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 long time ago. Uh, because Jonathan Duran, uh, talking about pulling weight, he just isn't, he just isn't there. And, and if you mentioned, uh, you know, he made those comments almost as an excuse, uh, with respect to the goals not coming because of his wrist isn't the same anymore. Then we need to acknowledge, all right, then he's, he's not the kind of player we're expecting him to be and his, his, uh, position in the lineup and his, his minutes get adjusted accordingly. Yeah. And I mean, listen, it was a couple of weeks ago he appeared in or a few weeks ago now he appeared in my three stars of the week. And this was sort of something that I was waiting on. Right. Because I, I didn't include him for a large period of time, even though he was putting up some points because I was waiting for the drop off. Eventually, I just gave in and gave him a spot. But I was still saying, like, you, you might get to a point where Jonathan drew in where you start to see that drop off because it's come every single year. And it came last year, and I was convinced last year, last season, that, okay, this is a changed player. He seems to be a bit more, you know, um, aware of his defensive responsibilities, He's producing a little bit more. He's starting to do things that you didn't typically see from Jonathan Drouin, and then it just disappears. And that's just the way that he has been his entire time in Montreal. So it's not necessarily surprised that he goes 18 games without a goal and, yeah, provides a little bit of, of an excuse as to why that is the case. So the interesting part here though, Rick, is without Brendan Gallagher, I mean, you were sort of wondering what the roster, what the line, uh, the line combinations would look like. And you would have thought that perhaps the Canadians would have used one of their additions from this past off season that sort of supplements them and provides them with a little bit more depth on the right side, uh, with the right wing, uh, position. But instead of electing to go with one of Tyler Toffoli or Josh Anderson in that spot, uh, they put Jesperi Kotkaniemi on the right wing with Tomas Tatar and Philip Deneau. 
And it was a little bit of an adjustment period because it looked like he was going a little bit deeper into the zone than a, than a winger might usually and going veering towards the slot because that that's his instincts in, in the NHL. He's a centerman. So you saw some of that and wondered if this was the best idea. And, you know, you can even make the argument that perhaps <laughs> even before that, when you saw him do that, that it wasn't a great idea uh, in terms of his long-term development. But... He got two assists against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, he's given an opportunity here to perhaps produce a little bit more offense than he otherwise would have been. So I guess you take the the good with the bad here in this situation. It's tough because uh, Kakanyemi has been playing some really good hockey uh, lately. Yeah. And then um, the Canadians have been without... Uh, uh, a bona fide uh, uh, center with size, uh, and and Kakanyemi was drafted for that. Remember, uh, Mark Bergevin has said a million times, "You can't you can't trade for that player. You have to draft him." So the Canadians draft him, and now you're moving him to the wing. Uh, it's it, it it it's it's just kind of odd. Uh, hopefully, yeah. this is temporary. Uh, playing with the Noah Tatar, taking that Gallagher's place, as you said. Um, and that sets up for Anderson and Duran to be with Stahl and Toffoli and Perry with Suzuki. Um, but, uh, you know, it is the, the question I have to ask, is Eric Stahl and, and uh, all of the overtime heroics aside, is he uh, a second-line defense, a second-line center um, anymore on a, on a team that, that is advancing to the playoffs? Uh, last game against the Jets, he was a minus three, played 12 minutes. Um, maybe, maybe instead you see uh, Eric Stahl uh, centering the fourth line uh, and you see, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing if Jake Evans has moved to, to the wing uh, a lot less so than, than uh, the concerns we have about Kakanyemi being moved to the wing. Yeah, and of course, it's it's just about the fact that Jesperi Kotkaniemi, as you said, was drafted to be a centerman and has developed in a rather short period of time to be a pretty effective centerman. And his lines are, and it's part of the reason why I've sort of entered this move to the wing with an open mind, because his lines have generated a lot of offense. I mean, for the past few years, even games that the Canadians, you know, that they've struggled offensively, his lines have been built, that they built mo. Uh, momentum throughout the game it's just the Canadians couldn't capitalize on it so if you put them with a, a line that has always been and it will always be so long as it's you've got the elements of it there it's it's going to be the Canadians top line it, it can create that chance but is it worth it to do that and then on the other side of the puck you remember that other guy who was drafted to be the Canadian center um, and Claude Julian was always complaining about his uh, his defense uh, and, and his responsibilities in the defensive zone for Kakanyemi, that's already there. Um, we, yeah. We've seen he, he's very responsible uh, in the, the defensive zone. So it's, uh, let's hope this is temporary um, and, and that, that the, the lineup con- uh, decisions continue to evolve. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's another one of those questionable moves on, on Ducharme's part uh, since he's taken over. Yeah, so moving to goaltending, because obviously Carey Price out with a lower body injury at the moment, it's not expected to be a long-term thing. So if the Canadians were going to do anything at the deadline, it's probably not going to be at a goaltender. I nope. mean, I think they're, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty set, I think. So for Jake Allen, 
he's only got one win in his last nine starts. It hasn't been, I mean, we've talked about it, the way that the Canadians have played in front of Jake Allen, very different from the way that they play in front of Carey Price. And so when they do that, when they play a little bit more defensive-oriented hockey in front of Jake Allen, it might take away from what they are able to do and able to provide from a goal support standpoint. But they are doing that because they know that Jake Allen is not going to make the two-pad stack save that Carey Price made against the Edmonton Oilers, at least not most of the time. So you want to limit the amount of those sort of high-danger opportunities that come. But when you do that, it's tough to get the goal support to win some hockey games. And we've, we've seen people talk about it and perhaps too much has been made of it because, you know, it, it's provided Jake Allen uh, the excuse to why that he has not won these games because people want to see Jake Allen overtake Carey Price as the starting goaltender in Montreal. So there's that element of it. But there is some truth in there that the Canadians could probably meet halfway a little bit, play that defensive-oriented, more attention-to-detail hockey, and provide a little bit more goal scoring. Yeah, it's it's tough. And we heard Stefan Waite say um, when he was asked about, uh, well, uh, you know, better, uh, better goals against better save percentage. Why isn't he the number one? He was asked that question directly. And he said, because uh, Jake Allen no longer is a number one goaltender that he will fold when it when uh, when given that role Uh, that that it's best for at maximum. Uh, Jake uh, Allen to uh, to play one third of the games, um, and 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 when given more of a responsibility, he's not able to do it. We saw uh, not a great game for for um, uh, Jake Allen on, on Thursday against uh, Winnipeg, um, and uh, and and you know when the Canadians uh, Jake Allen, uh, with all due respect, five wins. Uh, on the season, the Canadians, I think, were expecting more uh, from their backup goaltender uh, than five wins uh, at this point in the season, and um, and and that's that's just a, a function of how much this this team relies on Carey Price, and and is going to need Carey Price going forward, uh, and and certainly into the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, anyone that was looking at those numbers earlier this season and saying, well, Jake Allen has been outplaying Carey Price, he should be given more. They weren't paying attention to what Jake Allen has been in years past when he's been given. It's sort of the same thing as Jeff Petrie that we talked about. When you give him more responsibility, you give him a little bit more rope, doesn't necessarily work out well. And those stats tend to not look as good. But, I mean, when you look at it from the standpoint, I, the first goal against the Toronto Maple Leafs was one that you'd probably like him to have. That, that wasn't, you know, it's Austin Matthews, I get it, turnover in the defensive zone. That's one that you'd like your goaltender to have. He's largely been giving, this is the thing that I've been thinking about, is, I mean, the Canadians are in much better position with Jake Allen if you had to think about if oh, this were sure. to happen with Antti Niemi or Keith Kincaid. That's the only thing. Obviously, you still want to have a little bit more production out of this, but to think on if the Canadians had entered this exact situation at this point in the season within with a playoff spot, if they had to enter this portion of the season and you don't have Carey Price and you have to turn to Keith Kincaid or Antti Niemi, this thing could get out of hand uh, very, very quickly. At least Jake Allen has given them a chance to win. I mean, 3-2 against Toronto, you were in that game. Uh, 4-2 against Winnipeg, not so much. But 
regardless, it, it is still a position where the Canadians would like to get more out of that, especially considering what they're paying Jake Allen this year. That's the part of it for me, is that you're paying him significantly more this year than you will for the following two seasons, where it's going to decrease down to uh, to just over $2 million. So in that way, I think that when you look at it for Jake Allen, you would have liked to see a little bit more in terms of wins and losses uh, than you have to this point in the season. But, but Rick, I, I think the interesting part here, and the thing that we've heard most often since uh, the firing of Claude Julian and Kirk Muller is we've heard a lot about the revamp power play and uh, Alex Burroughs and, and the elements that he's brought to it that weren't there before. And at this moment in time, it, it's, you know, it, it's clear that there have been changes tactically to what the Canadians are trying to do on the power play. There isn't that sort of ring around the boards where they're trying to funnel these passes to the point that keep getting picked off and, and cleared down the ice like we've seen, like we had seen under Claude Julian with that emphasis to get the puck back to the point and to Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie. Uh, there's been a little bit more movement. They've gained a little bit more momentum than they typically would have, generally speaking. Of course, there's been outliers in that, but they've they've generally been pretty good on the power play. They're at 16th in the league right now, so they're middle of the pack for the power play. Uh, but, but Rick, I, I think when you look at what was ailing the Canadians with the power play, it was not necessarily anything that, that Kirk Muller could really change because it came from the sort of overarching... Uh, system that that Claude Julian wanted the Canadians to play under. Yeah, the, to, saying that that uh, Kirk Muller was in charge uh, is a, a <laughs> misnomer because Claude Julian set the strategy and and Kirk Muller had to work within that. Um, and and so we we saw an immediate kind of boost to to the power play uh, when Alex Burroughs had complete free reign, uh, to, to, uh, set the strategy for the power play. And we saw briefly that Canadians power play moved from that, uh, middle of the pack, middle of, of the, uh, the league up into the top 10. And then, uh, it's, it's regressed really back to where it was, uh, when Kirk Muller left, as you said, 16th in the league, and I, I think it says that uh, there's only so much you can do with tactics because uh, you put in different tactics, and and uh, the opposition responds. Uh, we're getting back to the Mark Bergevin territory in the lack of elite players, uh, skilled players uh, that can excel uh, on the power play for the Canadians. Yeah, and I think that what we've seen is, I mean, there was more sort of involvement. There was more um, of a role that Corey Perry played in the power play in the early going, and that sort of changed the the way that things were happening, although we did see some of it earlier in uh, in the season under Claude Julian. But, you know, you saw a little bit more of that down low play, but eventually teams adjust, right? They figure things out, and especially under the, given the fact that Canadians now have had Dominique Ducharme and, and Alex Burroughs leading that power play for a while now. Teams have adjusted to what they're trying to do. So it's uh, very interesting to see if, if there will be adjustments in the other direction by the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, but the other way, penalty killing. Uh, 77% at the moment, 23rd in the league. Not exactly where you'd like to be in terms of <laughs> killing penalties for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, there, there is a, a little bit of a different strategy. I mean, it's still uh, Luke Richardson uh, looking at the the penalty kill. Um, uh, 
Claude Julien liked to have lots of people uh, playing on the, the penalty kills so that uh, he could always keep his penalty killers fresh. And they were he was he would uh, you know use quite a few. Uh, uh, Dom Ducharme has uh, set kind of uh, the the strategy for Luke Richardson in that he's focused uh, on 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 uh, certain penalty killers. Uh, are they the right ones? Uh, Phil Deneau has really struggled um, on the on the penalty kill, both in terms of of uh, draws in his own zone and uh, and in in goals against. Um, you know, you you'd maybe want to see more of. Uh, 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 Jake Evans. Maybe you want to see more of Arturi Lekkonen, but you know we know that uh, Ducharme had uh, elected to uh, put him in the press box for so many games. So um, uh, the way it all washes out is that the the penalty kill was about twenty third when uh, Ducharme came in. It's twenty third now, and uh, it still needs uh, still needs a, a bit of work there. Yeah, and, and speaking of, so, you know, I think this is all to say that you have Dominic Ducharme as your coach right now, as your interim head coach, and he's had 19 games. The Canadians are 8, 6, and 5 for 21 points. And it was sort of pointed out on the broadcast on Wednesday against the Leafs. There's some striking similarities between the statistics for the Montreal Canadiens under Claude Julien and under Dominic Ducharme. Granted, some of the statistics for Claude Julien maybe a little bit inflated by the red-hot start, that really just went off the rails uh, very, very quickly. But for Ducharme, yeah, not exactly where you'd like to be for the Montreal Canadiens. That might be the theme, I think, of, of this inge- entire overview of the Canadiens is not exactly where you'd like to be. Um, but yeah, 18, uh, 19 games, 8-6-5 and five record. Uh, 19 games, and and uh, that places them in that time period, 20th in the league. Uh, so yeah. his injection is not making... Uh, a positive difference. The Canadians, uh, you know, uh, had the extrapolate that over the the season that puts them out of the playoffs. So, um, I think that um, you know, is it a is it a done deal? Is it is it uh, uh, has he made the case strongly, Dom Descharmes, that uh, the interim label should come off? No, not not at all. I think the jury's still out on uh, on whether he continues. Uh, once this season is over. So I think that leads naturally into, well, okay, if things aren't where you'd like them to be exactly, what do you do in both the short term and long term? And short term for the Montreal Canadiens, when you look at their salary cap situation, we've talked about it all season and sort of the management that they've been doing with Paul Byron, with others, to sort of squeeze out as much money as they can to sort of accrue salary cap on a daily basis to the best of their abilities. Uh, the, the current situation doesn't leave them with a whole lot of room. Granted, the the Brendan Gallagher LTIR thing does help them a little bit. But but given that situation, who do you think, if anybody, the Montreal Canadiens can look at as a possible trade target and, and see as, as a solution to any of these problems? <laughs> the, the difficulty is that uh, the Canadians were in tough, uh, if not for the Brendan Gilger, and that sounds terrible to say, but, yeah. uh, but it, it provides some relief, the LTIR. Uh, does uh, and 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 in it at least they can um, uh, ice a full lineup, which they they were in danger of not being able to do uh, had that injury not occurred. Now, if another injury occurs uh, where they have to replace the player and not go on LTIR, 
then they get in trouble all over again. So uh, Mark Bergevin's got to keep that in mind, got to keep in mind that uh, should it arise that uh, Cole Caulfield, um, you know, is is brought up, yeah. there's got to be money there. There should be a little bit of money um, if you want to bring in a, a defenseman, uh, you know, to, to help. We're not talking about uh, a Matthias uh, Ekholm, um, that kind of that kind of commitment, um, you know, a while back, uh, I think it was about a month ago, I mentioned Dmitry Kulikov, uh, you know, just coming in and and uh, uh, and helping out, maybe even particularly with Romanov, uh, that might be a way of of uh, providing some depth for your your defense. That would be a a step up to uh, Victor Mate, um, or maybe an Otto Laskinen, and and uh, and have that experience. Um, so, you know, uh, don't count out Mark Bergevin. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe he has uh, with with a combination of of teams uh, retaining salary or involving a third third party team, uh, or if he can unload some of the salary that he has. Uh, then, then it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, and I think that this all sort of it, it says that Mark Bergevin has a job in front of him, not just the short term, but if he is the general manager beyond this season into this off season, that there needs to be some changes made to this roster construction. That there are guys that are coming off the books that maybe you look at and say, well, are they really providing what we need to win? And then you look at, okay, what are the options? for a left shot defenseman because that's really been I think if you have a left shot defenseman to play with Shea Weber that can move the puck that plays with speed that can do all those things that fixes a lot of the problems just right there for the Montreal Canadiens so I think that that might be something that you look at as a long-term thing that isn't going to be addressed on Monday but you can look at this offseason for sure so uh, Rick, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Obviously, uh, trade deadline, a very exciting time of year. As I said, happening a little bit later than it usually does, but still makes it uh, still a very exciting, exciting day. So, Rick, we're going to take our first break here on the Canadians Connection podcast. When we come back, we have a special interview with Theo Fleury, NHL legend Eric Cousin, uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, mental health, and that'll be a great interview. So stick around. We'll be back after this quick break. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team visit allhabs.net and click the join our team tab today in every city around the world sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints some good grub and to cheer for their team think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. 
Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. And welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Joe Whalen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Whalen19. And with me in studio is the president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. You can follow him at All Habs on Twitter. And you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. So, Rick, we have got quite the big topic segment this week. It's going to be a very interesting special interview. Uh, with yourself and Amy Johnson, and uh, you'll be interviewing an NHL legend, Theo Fleury. Theo Fleury. Um, he's uh, had an incredible career, a point-of-game player uh, in both the regular season and the playoffs, um, and, uh, and, and had his uh, interactions with the Montreal Canadiens, and, and uh, <laughs> we'll, I'm sure we'll get into to that. Um, and he's also part of uh, a group. Uh, it's it's Eric uh, Cusin, uh, Theo Fleury, and uh, Darren Ravel, Sports Business Insider, who've come together uh, to uh, to launch a new podcast that coming out uh, next week um, on the Hockey Podcast Network called uh, "We're All a Little Crazy," and and it's to focus on uh, current mental health issues uh, and, and engage in discussion and. And so we, we wanted to have him, uh, uh, the, uh, both uh, Eric and Theo on, uh, to have that conversation. As you said, uh, we did that with uh, myself and, and Amy Johnson. As you've heard us mention before, we are a uh, proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network here at the Canadians Connection and, and happy to be part of that network. And coming up soon, debuting on the Hockey Podcast Network is a brand new show uh, called We're All a Little Crazy, hosted by Theo Fleury, Darren Ravel, and Eric Cusin. And we, Rick and I, are very happy to be joined today by two of those hosts. Uh, Theo Fleury and Eric Cusin are here with us today. Guys, thanks so much for being here and uh, joining us here on the Canadians Connection. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, we're, uh, we're very excited about uh, the new venture, so... And I, uh, you know, building off of our initial conversation, I, I, I again, as an Islanders fan, I, I, there's there's still a lot of love even going back to 93. So <laughs> look forward to this. Well, that's very good. That's very good. You know, my first question for you really, um, it's, it's about the new podcast. It's a it's an ex, it's an exciting new show. Um, starting from Eric, I know you are the uh, the founder of uh the same, uh, the hashtag same here, global mental health movement, um, a, a new show kind of trying to help normalize the conversation about mental health and, and, and really get it into people's uh, sphere as far as mental health advocacy. When listening to your promo materials, there was one phrase that came out that really jumped out to me that I'd love to ask you about. And it was that quote, you want to rip the Band-Aid off in a very real way. And I was just wondering if you can explain that a bit. Like, what what is the real way to talk about mental health versus what's typically offered out there these days? 
Absolutely. And, and I so appreciate that question. Um, and, and I appreciate that in the promo you picked up on, on that line. You know, I, I, I can only go based on my own lived experience. And mental health was not something that was on my radar screen for so long. Um, I was an athlete growing up. And then I was fortunate enough to, to work in professional sports. And so I had this nose to the ground, like high performer, high achiever mentality. And then, you know, six months into my tenure with the Florida Panthers, just hit the fan. There's no other way to describe it. And my brain and my body just conked out. And the way that I was treated to try and get back those cognitive uh, functions that had escaped me was this traditional route of, hey, we got to find out what's wrong with you with this label. You either have depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD. And every doctor I went to, there was a different diagnosis based on what their, um, you know, what their area of expertise was. They were able to find something wrong with me that fit within the criteria of, of a label that they were going to give me. Um, and so I tried, you know, 50 different psychotropic drug combinations. I tried TMS therapy where they shoot electromagnetic waves in your brain. I tried tried shock therapy where they try to shock your brain back into through seizures into almost restarting it. And none of them worked for me. And ultimately I healed based on discovering that there were events in my life prior that I had lived through events with my brother being sick over a long period of time, near death on many occasions and actually losing three of my close friends that had affected my central nervous system. And so looking at this topic, not as, the sick, the one in five who are ill versus the four and five who are healthy. And instead flipping that conversation saying five and five of us face challenges in our life, like those challenges I just described with my brother and my friends that impact our mental health. That's paradigm shifting. That's ripping the bandaid off and saying, let's get away from this disease and this disorder model. And let's talk about the everyday stuff we all go through that cumulatively builds inside of us much like plaque builds in our arteries from a physical health standpoint, and it happens in a very quiet way where we don't notice it until we have a heart attack. Well, we've got people now who are working on their physical health in a proactive way. We want to start talking about mental health in a proactive way, the same way that we do physical health. So, so kind of going right along with that in, in a broad sense, what are, what are you really trying to achieve by putting this podcast out there and getting people to talk about some things in, and maybe make them a little bit uncomfortable in doing so? Yeah. You know, I, I put out something the other day that Darren had said when we had done one of these interviews that, you know, it's about us ha having comfortably uncomfortable conversations. So you take current events, like Theo just sent me a text and, and I know I'm giving you a specific example about a broader topic that yes so but he just sent me a text about an nfl an nfl player unfortunately that was involved in a murder suicide mm -hmm. story just came out two hours ago right and you see everyone rushing right now to well head trauma head trauma causes uh we know nothing about this guy's background we know right. nothing about what he was like growing up isolation bullying anything that happened in the schoolyard his family life and automatically we want to put an immediate explanation on what happened right, right. so the uncomfortable conversation is opening up this idea of the stuff that happens to us in life. Let's take a look at the way our government's talking about it. Let's take a way look at our the way our politicians are or aren't talking about it. Let's take a look at the way that pharma talks about it. Can we dive into these current event topics that we're hearing about 
and actually pick them apart a little bit in a way that maybe isn't so comfortable for everyone because we're so used to saying, here's a single reason why it happened. Okay, on to the next story. We want to dive deeper and actually find out what's at play here. What are all the factors that get involved and how can we talk about it in a more responsible way? Because right now, you know, Theo's line I'm stealing from him <laughs> before he gets to talk is <laughs> we have the greatest awareness in the history of our planet of mental health because of social media and people talking up. And yet our rates are as awful as they are. What that means is the messages aren't correct. Because if the volume's that high and we're still getting these terrible rates, something needs to change. Just before we bring uh, Theo into the conversation, uh, my introduction to your organization, the same here in Global Mental Health Movement, was, um, you know, being a... Uh, my very short hockey minor league career uh, uh, as a wannabe <laughs> goaltender, uh, keeping an eye on goaltenders. Uh, all of a sudden, two years ago, a year or so ago, we see a mm-hmm. hashtag, the hashtag same here on the side of Robin Leonard's mask. And everybody immediately started asking questions. What's this about? Uh, mm-hmm. And it relates back to this celebrity alliance uh, that that you uh, put together to to openly talk about these issues. Well, you know, the, interestingly, because we'll go to Theo in a second, so so I'll get to Robin, but the Celebrity Alliance started with Theo as the first member of that, and that's why I think Theo and I are kindred spirits, and I consider him an older brother in a way, and that's why we're so close is by realization when I went through what I went through and I think was treated the wrong way by doctors and then learned uh, proper ways to heal was that we all have a story to tell. And when I was looking at the way that celebrities had shared their stories, most of the stories were, you know, this particular celebrity has this label, right? And how do they get through dealing with this particular disorder that they have? And Theo shared in a very different way. He shared about his sexual abuse very openly. He shared about the chaos in his house growing up with his mother and father and addiction issues. That was the vulnerability that when we give the details behind what we go through, that leads us to now an understanding that, hey, just like that person, just like Theo, even though he's on the ice and even though he's performing at a high level, I can relate to that. I was abused when I was younger or my parents were volatile in the household when I was younger. Now I can say same here, right? And so now when you talk about someone like Robin, how does Robin get involved and why is Robin wearing it on his helmet? And I think this will endear a lot of people to Robin when they hear the story. We'd been in existence for about a year and a half and Darren, who's, who's part of this group, has a pretty, pretty large Twitter following. And um, we were watching how, you know, Robin was performing at a high level. And after, you know, my Islanders, you know, unfortunately, because I would have loved for him to still be with the team. I didn't know Robin personally at the time, but I was watching closely how he's performing at this high level, yet no one's willing to give him a starter's contract. No one's willing to give him a multi-year contract. And so Darren and I just put out there through Darren's Twitter because of how big his platform is, this concept that there's no way for us to, to, to be able to parcel out that, you know, hit Robin's lack of getting a contract in some ways related to his mental health. And, you know, uh, Robin picked up on that and wrote us a private direct message and said, I want to hear more about what you're doing. And, and, you know, I do feel like I've been treated that way, that there's a misconception, not only in hockey, but in society about how performance is affected just because, you know, you're open about what you've been through. <laughs> he said, I think openness is what's needed and, and we don't have enough people being open. And, and in it, hopefully this helps bringing this all now full circle with the questions that you've asked is 
the reason why Robin bought into, I think, what we were doing and, and proactively asked, right? Like, I, I sent Theo the text. I'll never forget the day. Robin gets the drawing from Dave Art, the the, the popular uh, yeah. artist who does most of these goalie masks. He's like, hey, man, do you mind if I put same here on your mask? My mask? <laughs> and I wanted to pinch myself and be like, are you serious? Um, no, I mind. But <laughs> put it on there a few ahead, times. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he did. He put it on the left end of the right. Both so, sides. There so, you go. Yeah. So, so Robin's understanding of what we were doing now, keep in mind, Robin is the poster child for, Oh, Robin has bipolar, right? This specific disorder. But Robin's message was the same as ours, which is, it doesn't matter what my label is. It matters. What matters is I grew up and he talks about the volatile childhood that he had growing up and the different traumas that he faced. So as Robin saying, same here, I go through these challenges in life that have impacted me where ultimately end up resulting was I'm dealing with bipolar right now, but it doesn't matter what your challenge is. I got you. I got your back. I've been through things just like the rest of you have. And when he's saying the rest of you, he's talking to the whole hockey fandom world and beyond. Um, and so hopefully that background is helpful in terms of bringing in how Theo's a part of this, how Robin's a part of this, how any athlete is a part of this is it's the stories that connect us. It's our stories of challenge and it's not our disorder labels. So Theo, um, for Canadians fans of a, a certain generation, um, when we connect you and the Calgary Flames with the Montreal Canadiens, it's it's a heartbreaking story is what it is because we think back to the 89 final, Stanley Cup final. Um, that was uh, that was the last team last time that two Canadian teams faced each other in the Stanley Cup final. It was a big deal. Um, and as it turned out, uh, we know the Flames uh, won that series four games to two and they were the only, the Calgary Flames are the only visiting team to have ever won a Stanley Cup at the Montreal Forum. Um, and for you, uh, in your rookie season, the whole thing must have been rather surreal. Um, you know, getting to, to, to do a lap on, on the Montreal Forum ice and, and with, with uh, the Montreal Forum fans there who... Uh, were relatively kind and and <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 appreciated the 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 effort. Yeah, I know it's hard for Montreal Canadian fans <laughs> to actually come to grips with they actually lost, but <laughs> you know, you guys beat us in '86, so right. we have to play the rubber match, which I doubt will ever happen in my lifetime, but uh, maybe maybe someday it will. Um, but uh, yeah, it was an incredible uh, experience. Um, you know, I couldn't have come into a better situation uh, as a young player to be mentored by, you know, so many incredible uh, people. And I, I th and I think that's what it really comes down to is the amount of quality people that we not only had uh, on the management side, but as a as a group as a whole. You know, you're not going to be around a better quality group of people. And, uh, you know, we really enjoyed playing with each other. Uh, we enjoyed spending time with each other away from the rink. And, and uh, you know, at that time, I think <clears throat> I think there was only 550,000 people that lived in Calgary. So we were still like, a you know, basically a small town. And, 
you know, we were always out in the community. We were always doing stuff for charity and, you know, different stuff. And so, you know, those are the things that, that I remember probably more than the actual winning of the Stanley Cup because uh, I think it's it's more important about the process of winning because, you know, the last thing that happens, uh, you know, when you win something is, you know, you get a ring or you get to carry the cup around or whatever. But, you know, I'm 52 years old now and I get invited to all kinds of charity events. Why? Because people want to know about the process. They want to know what's going on in the dressing room. They want to know what's going on behind the scenes. And, and to me, those are the things that I remember probably more than the actual, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the last 10 seconds when we were counting down and all that. But, uh, um, you know, uh, when you're growing up as a kid, you know, you dream about first and foremost, uh, making it to the NHL. And then once you get there, you know, you dream about winning Stanley cups. And for me, you know, that happened, uh, all in the same season. And so, um, it was a magical ride. Uh, you know, a lot of things fell into place, uh, for our team and, and, uh, you know, ultimately it ended, uh, you know, in, and, you know, I'm, I'm a French Canadian guy. And, uh, when we were playing the Habs in the final, half of my family was not cheering for the Calgary Flames. They were cheering, <laughs> they were, they were cheering for, for Montreal, but, uh, you know, it, it was a, an amazing experience and, uh, um, you know, it, the, the amazing part of it is, you know, I won a Stanley Cup my first year and never really got a sniff until, you know, I went to Colorado and we lost, uh, Dallas in game seven. And then Dallas went on to beat Buffalo for their first Stanley Cup. But other than that, you know, um, uh, I didn't really get close, you know, uh, after that. And so uh, you realize how hard that trophy is to win and, uh, um, you know, how physically demanding uh, it is to, you know, pl- pretty much play every second night for, you know, a couple of months. And, you know, you're, you're basically, uh, you know, living on adrenaline and, you know, excitement and all that. But, uh, but like I said, you know, the, uh, it was, it was truly an honor to play with that group of people. And, uh, you know, it really kind of set me up for the rest of my career. Uh, you know, when I got, uh, to a place of being a leader and, and, uh, you know, teaching and, and, uh, mentoring, you know, the young guys that would come, you know, come through the, the dressing room doors of the Calgary Flames. You talk about divided loyalties, and and we say all the time, hockey is a small community. And and the, you look at the lineups, and and you had on the Canadian side the the, the Gainies and the Carbonos and Richeys and uh, Robinson, and on on your side, uh, Jim Poplinski, Lanny McDonald, uh, Rob Ramage um, won a cup uh, that year, uh, and then um, was. Uh, uh, moved to uh, to Montreal and won a cup again with with Montreal and is now a director of player development. Um, but uh, you know there there was all kinds. Of, Doug Gilmore uh, played for both sides. Um, uh, even uh, uh, the trainer Jim Bearcat Murray had his own fan club in Montreal, 
uh, that would get together at the Peel <laughs> Pub and 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 cheer on the Flames. It was hockey is such a a small community, and um, so is have have when when you were going through difficult times, did that help you or or? Um, you know, were there people that you could call on? Uh, were there were there uh, people there to uh, recognize what was going on and and uh, and kind of step in and and help out? Yeah, there was lots of people, but uh, you know, I wasn't ready for for the help. You know, um, and you know now being in the space now for almost thirteen years, you know, I I. You know, the, the last person to see their life sort of going down the drain is, is themselves, right? And, and I was the same way. You know, I, I thought that I was managing well. I thought, you know, as long as I was playing, you know, half decently or well, that, you know, they basically left you alone. And so, but there was, you know, I had lots of meetings with coaches and general managers and owners and stuff that uh, were concerned. Uh, I even had a meeting with Gary Bettman one time. And, you know... I just wasn't ready. Yeah, you know what? I I I really uh, have a lot of respect for Gary for the way that he handled me on that particular day because he didn't care about hockey. He actually cared about me, the the person and the human being. And I, I'll never forget uh, that conversation that I had with him because it was, you know, it was from his heart, and uh, you know, it showed that he uh, really cared uh, about uh, about me and and. yeah, so there's lots of people that were willing to help, but uh, I wasn't ready for the help. And, and uh, you know, a lot of, like the most common email I get is, I have a son, I have a daughter, I have a niece, a nephew, a granddaughter, grandson that's going down the wrong path. And I don't know what to do. And, you know, uh, like I said, being in this space for 13 years, you know, I know that, those people that are reaching out are the enablers, right? Because as addicts and alcoholics, what we're really good at is we're really good at collecting enablers because the more enablers we have, the longer our behavior can last because they're always going to pick, you know, pick up the pieces. They're going to fix you. They're going to, you know, all that stuff. So I know automatically that the person that emailing me is the enabler. And so I quickly, you know, uh, respond back by saying does this person that you're talking about actually want help because in my experience uh if you don't want help there is nothing i can do that's going to help you 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 have to want the help and you know um 5,600 days ago you know i hit my knees in a washroom and i reached out for help and and uh and the day that I did that, the day that I asked for help was the day that I saved my own life because I was actually ready for the help and I was willing to do the work and I was willing to dive in and, and uh, you know, take a look at all of my trauma and, uh, you know, all of my uh, addictive behaviors and, and all the wreckage that I caused uh, in, you know, several relationships with family and wives and kids and friends and all that. And so, um, uh, it was, it was the greatest decision I've ever made. And, uh, it's the thing that I'm absolutely the most proud of. And, and, uh, so, so many amazing things have happened, uh, since I made that choice and made that decision that, uh, 
that you know now I'm 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 in this space 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I've dedicated the rest of my life to uh, you know figuring out mental illness and trauma and, and addiction and and all of that. And uh, you know that's that's how Eric and I uh, connected. Was you know I was out there with you know telling my story, helping people, and uh, you know I, I wasn't. I wasn't really attaching labels to my story. I was just, you know, being as vulnerable as I possibly could. And, and that vulnerability really created uh, a safe space in society. And then, you know, after my book came out in 2009, like I got run over, like completely run over and, and uh, you know, guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80 years old guys were coming up to the book tables and telling me their sexual abuse story for the very first time in their whole entire lives. And so, um, you know, I've really, I've really found the true purpose for my life and, and a reason why I went through all of the uh, struggles that I went through early on in my life was to get me to this place where I could, uh, you know, be, be a helper and be a healer. And I think, you know, the piggybacking off of Theo's comments about, you know, needing to, to find someone who's, who's ready to get the help. You know, Theo and I were, were on a podcast the other day and, and bringing up how sometimes when you're a high-level performer in terms of God-given abilities and you're able to perform at that high level despite what you're dealing with in your mind, despite what you've been through in your life, you've been able to fix things your entire career, right? Like just grin and bear it, white knuckle through it, work harder. You're supremely talented. You're going to get better at it. And so if that's the way that it's always been either on the playing surface or in my case in the boardroom and it's, Hey, whatever obstacle there is, you can get over it. You don't think that when you're dealing with these other things, that it's something that you can overcome on your own. And I don't, you know, I don't even know that that's a shame thing. I think that's just like a, the way that you're wired is, hey, anytime it's been there before me, I've been able to run through it. So this should be no different. And unfortunately, what happens so often, I'm sure Theo will go a little more into the story <laughs> to go on with this, is in Theo's case, ending up with a fully loaded shotgun rattling between his teeth. In my case, you know, being bedbound for two and a half years and staring at a ceiling, you know, in, in Robin's case, reaching rock, rock bottom before, you know, he was able to ask for help and, and, uh, and go through the substance abuse program with the NHL is, you know, we want to open up and talk about these stories in advance because there are so many people out there who think like, I can do this on my own. I don't need the help. In fact, I'm not even noticing things that other people are noticing in me. And then it gets to the point where their life is on it on its last leg. And then that's where they have to get the help. Well, we should, we should be a lot more proactive and, and understanding how the brain body connection works so that people could start to work on themselves much sooner. Listen, we're just, uh, we just scratched the surface there. Uh, Amy and I did with, uh, with Theo and Eric. Uh, we went pretty far in depth on this topic. Uh, and uh, it, it was, it was uh, such a powerful conversation, a compelling conversation. Yeah. And we're going to release that in its entirety um, as a special episode and, and uh, a bonus uh, episode of the Canadians Connection that'll be coming out early uh, uh, next week. And so look for that. This this is a, this is a can't miss uh, bonus episode. Uh, you'll want to hear uh, every bit of it. 
Absolutely. And yeah, as, as we talk about with, and we talked about in, in recent weeks with this podcast, we're all a little crazy. Uh, just a, a great idea for a podcast, shed some light on a topic that definitely needs the attention, not just one day a year, but all the time. And uh, yeah, no one better to do that than uh, with NHL legend Theo Fleury. Um, to hear him talk about the 1989 Stanley Cup final and uh, the dynamics that were at play with that, that was, uh, that was pretty crazy. Well, everything from, um, you know, all of the different uh, players and there was some kind of there was crossover uh, with players who had been associated with both teams. Um, The fact that uh, that that the that was the only time ever that an opposition team uh, paraded the Stanley Cup around the, the Montreal Forum. Um, and then the fact that, uh, that half of his family was, was cheering for the Canadians, uh, is a whole separate dynamic. Uh, with that said, uh, we will take our final break here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Still more to come. So stay with us here on the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. The Canadians Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. And welcome back to episode 131 of the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. 
So, Rick, uh, we, we just had a, a very uh, interesting episode this week. Lots to talk about, and we we did so uh, with the trade deadline in the first segment and that tremendous interview with Theo Fleury and Eric Hewson as well. And we have that bonus episode coming out on Monday, so if you're listening to this podcast, you don't want to miss out on that bonus episode with that entire conversation with Theo and Eric. Uh, but, Rick, we should say uh, that next week... Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, well, this coming week, they're going to be playing against the Winnipeg Jets, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and two games against the Calgary Flames, all four of those taking place at home. So at least the Canadians, I know the four games in a week, and we've talked about it, it's going to be four games in a week for some time, Mm -hmm. but you have four games in a week with no travel, which might help the Canadians out in this instance. Granted, quality of competition is a little bit a uh, little bit up there for the Winnipeg Jets and Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we know that Calgary's been going through a little bit of, uh, uh, of some turmoil this season, so it'll be interesting to see how the Canadians react to that. But Rick, next week, uh, I unfortunately will have an exam what? during the time of recording of the podcast. So unfortunately, I will not be here. The good news is... You are as you studious get to host as... Cole Caulfield. Yeah. You're really I am. I am. That's the only, literally the only way that I compare to Cole Caulfield (laughs) is that we are both incredibly studious. But the good news is, is that I am going to be replaced for next week's episode by somebody who is much better at this than than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. You're equally good. Equally good. good. Amy Johnson, all joking aside, Amy Johnson is going to be a tremendous guest host next week. And of course, it it, it blends itself uh, rather nicely because you look back i mean we had that interview with theo and eric with amy johnson you're going to have the bonus episode coming out so next week even more amy johnson content which is a great thing to have she'll be sitting (laughs) in the studio for the canadians connection and it'll be great to have her here as uh an able guest host as uh as as you uh deal with your your studies and and uh and we wish you luck on on your exams, um, and 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 listen, there's been an all all kinds of things that uh, have been going on. We have these special episodes. We're very grateful to you for listening. We're very grateful f- uh, to you for subscribing, uh, our listeners, and uh, and please go ahead and share uh, our our podcasts on your social media. Uh, so that other people get to say it. And and uh, for these special episodes and these special topics, we really want to hear back from you. Uh, and so you reach out to us on social media. Text us on the Rocket Sports text line, 585-3-ROCKET. And, uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, chime in and wish uh, Joe Luck on his uh, exam next week as well. <laughs> I'll need all that I can get, so it would be very much appreciated. (laughs) So, Rick, with all that said, we'll wrap things up for another week here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Thank you for listening to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadiens.